0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1. We are engaged in a series entitled The Ongoing Work of the Resurrected Savior. We have been seeing what Jesus taught His disciples, particularly His apostles, following His resurrection from the dead and prior to His going back to be with the Father, what we normally call His Ascension. Now this particular chapter here, chapter 1 in the book of Acts, actually deals with His Ascension, but we are going to look at something a little different from this, something where we left off last Lord's Day. We've already seen what we called His appearance on the shore from John chapter 20. We also looked at from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the teaching of the Apostle Paul regarding his appearances. And most recently, we've been looking from the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter 28, what we called his appearance on the mount, where Jesus tells his apostles, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, in light of that, go... Make disciples of all nations. And we saw from that passage that verse 19 begins with a connection. Go therefore, in light of the fact that I am the sovereign God, go therefore. And then we looked at the instruction that our Lord gave, that is, make disciples. And we saw from that text that the making of disciples included indeed converts, that people would be saved. And it also included the teaching of them. So it was the use of the Word of God to see men and women saved by His grace and the use of the Word of God that they would continue in His grace. I make mention of that for a reason today. I remind you of what our Lord said. If you are saved, it is by truth. It is truth that sets men free. And what proves that you are disciples is that you keep my word. That's what we saw under our Lord's instruction to the disciples. But we left off last Lord's Day at another area, the destination. So we looked at the connection the instruction and the destination. And this is what brought us to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where he says, you shall be my witnesses, the destination, be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. They were to begin in Jerusalem and they would go from there. That's the whole text in Matthew 28. As you are going, make disciples. And we saw indeed that the connection between this and Matthew 28 is very strong. Because in Matthew 28 he's saying, In light of the fact of your witness of who I am, in light of the fact that you've been with me these three years and you've seen me. In light of the fact that you have seen me crucified and dead. And now I stand right before you. Go make disciples. And here he is saying to them. You are to be my witnesses. What does that mean? Remember the word is martus. That's the Greek word. And it is it means to be one who is a witness of an event that takes place and then they testify to what it was. You've seen something and then you tell what you saw. The word even carries a legal connotation. In other words, you know that sometimes in a court of law, men and women are often called to be witnesses and their testimony is legal. People are convicted under the testimony or the witness of certain bystanders. You are to be a witness of me, Jesus is telling them. You've seen it. You've heard it. Now go and tell. You are to be my witnesses. That's what he says here in Acts chapter 1. And we made the point, and it's so true, that all of us are just like those disciples. Just like the Apostles. We are to be witnesses of Christ. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I don't do a good enough job with that. How much have I been able to see in my life of the works of Christ? Not only that I read in the Scriptures, but as I have seen them in my lifetime. God doing wonderful things for me and my family, bringing us through trials, as one of the brothers prayed earlier today. Even trials come from God to teach us, to mold us, to instruct us in how He is able to help. There's a hymn that is not that old, and it's uh, from the Gaithers, I believe. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that He could solve them. I wouldn't know how great He was. And that's true. He's helped us. He's encouraged us. He's provided for us. Look at this church. He's kept us. We are to be witnesses. But mostly we're to be witnesses of what He has taught us of Himself from the Scriptures. Some of you here know more theology than many so-called pastors today know. You realize that? I know that there are some over here and some of you around this auditorium that know more theology than many pastors even that stand before congregations this very hour. You've been taught and you've studied on your own. You've heard it for years and you're well instructed. You are true disciples. And unfortunately, many of the people who even stand in pulpits are not true disciples, let alone the people who sit in front of them. You know, I say to stand in pulpits. They don't even have pulpits in most churches anymore. Years ago, they went to plexiglass little things, and now they're even done. Not us. I believe in the sacred desk. We stand here because it holds something. It holds the Word of God. And I'm not ashamed to be a noted preacher. Because there are many preachers who are not noted. And when they open their mouth, what comes out is not biblical. So you are privileged. You've learned much. Like those disciples, Jesus said, Now go and be witnesses, witnesses of what you've seen. Testify to what you have heard. And people, that is what we are supposed to do. Being witnesses, giving our testimony. You realize that that is one of the greatest ways to witness to somebody else, is to give your testimony. What did the Apostle Paul do when he was before kings and leaders? He gave his testimony. He said, I was on the road to Damascus. I was going out to persecute Christians. And suddenly a light shone and God spoke to me. He gives his testimony. I was a persecutor of Christians. Then God saved me and now I am a witness. In your testimony there should always be the then, the when, and the now. Then I was lost, a persecutor of Christians. The when God saved me by His grace. And here's how He did it. And the now I'm living for Him. Testifying of Him. That's a great way to lead people to Jesus. Just giving your own testimony. And so Jesus tells them here in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that you are to be my witnesses. And then He says both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. So we start with Jerusalem. That's the as you are going. From right now. And we saw last week that they didn't even get out of town. When the Apostle Peter started preaching in chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit is poured out, poured out upon them on the day of Pentecost. And they begin to speak. They begin to testify. Testify. They begin to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. And the text tells us in chapter 2 and verse 5 that there were people, Jews, living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, and they heard them speak in their own tongues, their own native language, their own dialect, their own southern drawl or New York accent. They all heard them in their own tongue. But the point we made is that there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men, from every nation under heaven. So without even leaving the block, they preached to people from all over the world, as it were, every nation. And this is what Jesus said, as you're going Be my witnesses. And that is what they did. They were being witnesses to what they had seen Jesus do. They had witnesses to what Jesus uh, taught them. They would teach others. And they were witnesses to his resurrection from the dead, which is a direct connection back to chapter 28 in the book of Matthew. But now, That's where we left off, with a little bit thrown in. But I didn't want to leave it there, because I didn't want to leave you the impression that the apostles didn't go anywhere else. I cannot take the time today to tell you in detail what happened with all the apostles, but uh, did you ever wonder what happened to the apostles? It's not that they all stayed in Jerusalem. Now they stayed there. Some of them stayed there for some time, and some of them never got out. But I want to take the time today to see what happened to the rest of the apostles, or to the apostles of our Lord Jesus. Because you remember that I told you that that word martus had a dual meaning. I just wasn't able to get to it last Lord's Day. But I told you that the word martus, to be my witnesses, had a dual meaning. The first meaning was the one that we've looked at. That it is one who has seen something and reports what he has seen, even carrying that legal weight. But the second meaning of the word martus, you can hear in the word martus, martyr. It means to die, to give your life, to be a witness of what you have seen and heard and actually give your life in the process of it. Martyr. And it is common to think that back in the day of our Lord Jesus, that there were a lot of martyrs, but that's sort of like in the past. The reality is that even as you are to be witnesses in this day in which we live, more people are being martyred for their stand for Jesus than were even being martyred back when Christianity was young and Rome was killing them. Yeah, there were a lot of martyrs then, but there are a lot of martyrs now. But that's part of the word. That's part of what the word means. To be a martyr for the cause of Christ as you give a witness to all that he has done. There's all those illustrations. Some of them may be true. I don't know. I don't use too many illustrations like this very often. But I can't help but mention it now that perhaps you've heard of the illustrations of those who have in communist countries when the communists would come with the machine guns into the schoolrooms and would call upon, they would call upon the children in the schoolroom to denounce Christ, otherwise they would kill them. And I remember one particular case where they said that they took a picture and they put the picture on the ground and said, you are to go spit on it or else we will kill you. And every kid in the schoolroom or young person in the schoolroom spit on the picture, except for this one girl who was a true Christian. And she came along and wiped the spit off the picture with her hair. And they killed her a martyr for Christ. We we know nothing of that today. We know nothing of that thought, that that sense of giving our lives for what Christ has done for us. And yet this is what Jesus was saying to the apostles. Be my martyrs, my witnesses, and you may have to give your life. So what happened to the apostles? Well, you know from your Bibles what happened to Judas. He was not a good witness. As a a matter of fact, we know that Judas betrayed our Lord Jesus and he, in turn, went out and hanged himself. The first of the apostles to die was Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. But don't feel sorry for Judas. Because Jesus said, Woe to the one who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him were he not born. Judas is not going to heaven. Judas is not going to oblivion. Judas is in the pits of hell. Will be. So he was the first one to go. We also know about the Apostle John. You know what happened to the Apostle John, right? Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation was the last New Testament book that was written. He wrote the Gospel of John, of course, and the Epistles of John, but he also wrote the book of Revelation. That's because he was in prison, in exile, on the island of Patmos there off the Greek coast. It was an island, and that's where he spent the remainder of his days, and he probably lived to be an old man working there in prison, under guard, in the Isle of Patmos, in the island of Patmos. So, the Apostle John is one of the apostles that we know about because he wrote late. Some think the book of Revelation could have been written as late as 90 A.D. So he lived to be a rather old man. Sixty years passed when Jesus died. But what about his brother? What about John's brother? You know what his name is, right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So what happened to his brother James? If you think his brother James became the pastor of First Baptist Jerusalem, he didn't. That was the half-brother of Jesus. That's the James that was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. What happened to James? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Here we have this account. Verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king had laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Look at that. Had them arrested for the sole purpose of mistreating them. What is the charge? Well, I I want to mistreat them. That's what kings do. I found it interesting that in the reading this morning that Daniel brought from Nehemiah, it was very similar. They were under the rule of the kings and there was like nothing they could do about it. The kings told them what to do and they had to listen and they were bound to that. And it was difficult. It was hard. Election day this year may find us in that place. In fact, it's looking like it will. The government is becoming more intrusive in our lives. Our freedoms are being taken away. And I said to my wife on the way to church this morning, the biggest fear I have is the fear of the loss of our rights to speak out, to call sin, sin, to preach the gospel and the truth without fear of being arrested. I believe that is going to go away one Supreme Court justice or two, and our rights to call homosexuality sin will be gone. And this is what we'll, we'll face. Now, at God's judgment, and we'll, do, we'll still call it sin. So I go to prison. We'll still call it sin, because that's what the Bible calls it. We'll still preach that men are lost and on their way to hell. If they are not saved by the grace of God, and even though it's not politically correct to do that, because you have to be accepting of everybody, you know. You have to accept everybody. And all their sin, and all their baggage, and all their lostness. We have to accept them. They don't have to accept us. We can be trampled upon. We can be put in prison because we're Christians. You think that's not going to happen? It's already happening. It's already happening in other countries. And that's what Herod did here. Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Just for that. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And so here's James. The brother of John, the beloved apostle, and he's put to death with a sword just because Herod wanted to. What's the charge? He's a Christian. What did he do? He was a witness of Christ and testified to the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's put him to death. It does indicate in some places in the scripture that the persecutions and trials will come. Well, listen, persecution and trials did come. They came for the apostles and they came throughout church history to true believers. And why should we expect less? Except we're Americans and we do. We expect a life of ease. We expect prosperity, wealth, happiness. And that's what preachers are preaching to congregations right now. If you're in Jesus, you should be happy. If you're in Jesus, you should be rich. If you're in Jesus, no trials will ever come upon you. The fact of the matter is, Jesus said, persecutions will come. Jesus taught that if they did this to me, what do you think they'll do to you? They're not going to love us. They're going to hate us. And so even though our government may be coming more and more of a dictatorship and our freedoms may be leaving, it'll give us a great opportunity to stand tall for the Word of God and to side with our Savior Jesus Christ and to be more light and more salt to the truth of His Word. God help us. That's the case. But here we have what Herod did to James. James was the first martyr, the first apostle to be martyred for the faith. The first apostle that gave his life for the faith. Stephen, of course, was the first martyr. and That was recorded a few chapters earlier. But I just want to show you this before we go. Look at the end of the chapter. Look what happens. Now Herod, verse 20, he, Herod, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over, Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, The voice of a God and not of a man. You see, it says they kept crying out. So it'd be like this, the voice of a God and not the voice of a man. The voice of a God and not the voice of a man. The voice of a God and not the voice of a man. Why were they doing that? They wanted his food. They were, uh, they were trying to be nice to him to win his favor. Let's put it that way. They were flattering him, saying nice things to him. And what did Herod do? What did Herod do? He he just drank it all in. Yes, indeed. The voice of a God and not the voice of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Wow. Just like that. Those worms must have been right there waiting. But here he is, taking the accolades that are due only to God. Because glory goes to God alone. And this one who killed James, the brother of John, was struck down by God immediately. And eaten by worms. So I know that we may face persecution. I know we may face trial. But let's face it. What's going to happen to the ones that bring it upon us will be much worse in the long run. Because when they face the king, when they face the judge of all the earth, they will have to give an account. And they will come up short. And will be consigned to the lake of fire with the devil and his angels for all eternity. So, I'm not saying it's going to be fun, but take heart. If you are called on to be a martus, a martyr for Christ, we know our end will be in glory and our government's end will be in hell. Now, back to Acts chapter 1. You are to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. And that's what they did. They went first to where they were, as they were going to Jerusalem, and they began to speak. And here we have in chapter two the account of Peter standing up before them and preaching and proclaiming God's truth. And God uses that to save literally thousands. But what happened to the rest of the apostles? That's what we want to get to right now. Well, the one who preached that sermon in chapter 2 of the book of Acts right here, Peter, was killed by Nero in Rome in approximately 66 AD. Now what I'm going to tell you is not from the Bible. It's from history. Not all history is wrong. Biblical history is accurate, 100%. But most most of this, much of this is accurate, to to the best of our knowledge. Some, as I will tell you, is a little bit vague. But Peter came under persecution from Nero. You know why? Nero blamed the Christians for everything. Nero hated Christians. You want to talk about martyrs, because there are children in the room, I can't tell you all that Nero did. But I'll give you one little tidbit. He would wrap Christians, he would cover them in tar, wrap them in large leaves, and set them on fire to be light at his parties. You've heard about some of these things that were done to Christians in the early days. Nero hated Christians. History teaches that Nero set fire to Rome while, you know, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And he blamed the Christians, particularly Paul. So he blamed Paul for all the woes of Rome. And not only did he have Peter killed, martyred, but Paul as well, right around the same time. Now Paul, needless to say, not one of the Twelve Apostles. But Paul was indeed an apostle of Jesus, called later than they were, and Nero had Paul beheaded around 66 AD. What happened to Peter was that he was sentenced to be crucified. And Peter did not feel that he was worthy to be crucified as Jesus was, so he wanted them to turn the cross upside down. And Peter was crucified upside down. That must have been even more painful than any other kind of crucifixion. If you could just imagine what it was like to be crucified being bad enough with the spikes in your wrists and your feet. You could at least hold yourself up some with your feet and hang with your arms. But upside down? I don't even conceive of how that worked. But that's how Peter gave his life as a martyr for Jesus. Now, Andrew, you know the apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, right? Peter, Andrew, Andrew went to Russia. Now we're going to see a string of apostles who actually left Jerusalem and went out. Andrew went to Russia and to Greece. You remember from the uh, studies that we did in the uh, book of Revelation and the seven churches of Revelation. You had the, books, the uh, churches from the book of Revelation that were all in what was Turkey and above that they could cross up into Russia and then go over into Greece. So obviously that's where Andrew went. And he went up into Russia, what is now Russia, and then to Greece, where he is also said to have been crucified in Greece. Matthew went to Persia and Ethiopia. Now some reports on Matthew say that he was not martyred. But most reports say that likewise, Matthew was martyred there in Ethiopia. Philip had a powerful ministry in Carthage and in North Africa. He was put to death, however, for the faith in Asia Minor. Thomas was most active in Syria, and he went as far as East India, And there Thomas was pierced with the swords of the soldiers to a door, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And they still have that place and that doorway where Thomas was martyred in East India. Now he was very well liked and loved and had a lot of converts and had a great ministry. And so people loved him and his death and his martyrdom were not a welcome thing whatsoever. But that's what happened to Thomas there in East India. Then we have Bartholomew. Bartholomew went to India with Thomas. He also went to Ethiopia and Southern Arabia where he was martyred. Then we have James the son of Alphaeus one of the twelve apostles, he went to Syria. And Josephus reports that James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and then clubbed to death. They wanted to make sure that they got James. Now Thaddeus, this is interesting, actually became known as St. Jude, the Roman Catholics. But uh, he apparently, they say that he had four different names, but from the Bible we call him Thaddeus, but he became known as Jude. And he likewise was said to have been crucified in Edessa, Greece in 72 A.D. Simon, who we called Simon the Zealot, went to Persia and he was killed for not worshipping the sun god there in Persia. So he refused to bow to the sun god that was worshipped there in Persia and they killed him for that. Now if you would please look here in your Bibles again. Verse 21 of chapter 1. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they're picking the replacement for Judas Iscariot. We've got to pick someone to replace Judas. And when they had to pick someone, who was with them from the very beginning, from the baptism of John, right through his resurrection. Now this tells us that the twelve apostles were not the only followers of Jesus. There were obviously other men who were there, who saw what happened to him, who knew what he did, who heard what he taught, who saw him heal the sick and even raise the dead. There were others who were aware of this right there the whole time. And two men were put forth Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You Lord, who know the heaven the hearts of all men, know which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles. So here we have the apostle Matthias. What happened to Matthias? Well, Matthias, who replaced Judas, went to Syria with Andrew. And while he was there in Syria, he was burned at the stake. Most of the apostles of Jesus were martyrs. And so when Jesus says to them here in verse 8, you will be witnesses, my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth, they did so. They went to the remote parts of the earth and they were witnesses of Jesus. And most were witnesses in that dual sense. That they bore testimony and they also gave their lives. Why would they do this? Why Did they do this? I ask you to turn back to Matthew 28. Why did all of these men go forth and were willing to give their lives to testify of Jesus? And here's the answer Verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up to and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given Me in heaven and on earth. I am the all-powerful sovereign ruler of heaven over the heavens themselves, over the angels and the holy host in heaven. I am the sovereign ruler of heaven. I am the sovereign ruler of earth. Over all mankind, over all those that dwell on the earth, I am the sovereign ruler. I have authority over all things, everything. In light of that, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples is to teach, to instruct. Make disciples is to be a witness of Him. Go! You have seen me preach and teach. You have seen me heal the sick and raise the dead. You see me now raised from the dead myself, alive in front of you. Go! Be my witnesses. Make disciples. Why did they go? They were doing what Jesus told them. Now why else did they go? Because they knew it was all true. Why would you give your life for a lie? A lot of people to this day still try to teach that the apostles made this all up. That this this gospel that we hold to was made up by a handful of men. And that we follow this handful of men and the lies that they created about Jesus. Because we know Jesus doesn't even exist. There's no such thing as Jesus. It's just a myth made up by these guys. Why would they give their life for a lie? Why would they go to the end of the earth to tell men that Jesus was raised from the dead if he was not? They could have just stayed in Jerusalem and created the lie if that's what they wanted. It's not a lie. They saw Him standing. That's what Matthew 28 is. They saw Him standing right in front of Him alive. And then in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, God opened their hearts and their minds to understand that everything that He taught and everything that He showed them was that He is God. He is the Savior. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And that if you believe in Him, you have everlasting life. And you will be raised from the dead. And the proof was standing right in front of them. Right in front of them. And so they went and were witnesses for Christ. Witnesses That is bearing testimony to what he taught them, what he showed them, and what he did, and witnesses to death. Martus giving their lives for Jesus. Are we willing to do half of that? Any of that? Can you go to the office next to yours at work even? Is that too far? Classmates, co-workers, fellow moms at the PTA, wives, husbands, children, grandchildren, we are to be witnesses. And I very seriously doubt that any of those will kill you for being a witness. Could I would I like to just get up in front of the current head of the regime and be a witness? You better believe I'd like that. Will it happen? I don't think so. But we are to be witnesses wherever God places us as we are going. Jerusalem first. And then to the ends of the earth. I pray that you will be a witness for Jesus as you have seen in the scriptures all that he has done. Let's pray.